I'll say it in this way. I feel like you can make the most difference in your well-being, in your empowerment, in your success, in your achievements by mastering that inner voice. Welcome to On Your Terms with Erin King, a show about living a life you truly love. Here's Erin. Well, when it comes to being a badass, would you consider yourself to be a black belt? If not, good news, because today's expert is none other than Jennifer Cassetta. Jennifer wrote a book called The Art of Badassery. Unleash your mojo with the wisdom of the dojo. Jennifer is a motivational speaker, a health and empowerment coach, and she's a third degree black belt in Hapkido and a master's in nutrition. She helps people feel strong, safe, and powerful from the streets to the boardroom via her keynotes and trainings to help us tap into our innate power, speak up against predatory behavior, and level up our minds, bodies, and our spiritual well-being. She's been featured on the Today Show on ABC, and today she walks us through her seven levels, her seven belts of becoming an ultimate badass. Let's have a listen. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's episode of On Your Terms. I'm Erin King, and today I am so psyched to be interviewing the one and only Jennifer Cassetta, who I have been chatting with nonstop for the last 20 minutes, and we finally had to hit record because we were having so much fun talking about life and love and adventure and books. Since this party started, Jen, welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Erin. Oh my gosh. Well, The Art of Badassery is your brand new book that came out this past summer. Congratulations. Thank you so much, my little baby. Oh my gosh. <laughs> well, it's it's so exciting. And that first book, you know, Welcome to the Dark Side. It's, it's like, here we go, right? <laughs> this is it. Yes. I now know the dark side of publishing a book totally. it that way. Which is a whole other conversation, which we should yes. do another episode on to help our fellow aspiring authors. That's yeah. a good idea. Let's do that episode next. We'll sit down and talk about our experiences yeah. with publishing just to help them have more realistic expectation of perhaps their first project. But when I saw your content, I was immediately drawn to you. First of all, you have this incredible mission of empowering women, not just from a mindset standpoint with your incredible seven belt framework that we're going to dive into in today's conversation. But also, I mean, you have this, this experience in martial arts and training women, whether it's a single mom, a realtor, a college student, really any gal walking on a street at night or that moment in the elevator with a sketchy dude, you're preparing them to meet a moment that hopefully they never have to, but right. should that circumstance come upon them, they can mm. respond in a way that is empowered. And I truly cannot think of a better mission than to make women feel safer, stronger, and just more resilient and tough in a God forbid, worst case scenario situation. Yeah. So I read all about your story, which is incredible, but let's let's start with sort of why, why martial arts, why badassery? Why did all this begin for you in your story and your journey? Well, thanks. It was never really a plan that was laid out for me, as we know some of the best stories start. But in my early 20s, I just wanted to to try a martial arts class. My father had been doing martial arts for many years. Of course, I looked up to him. But, you know, when I was younger, it was 
not something I was interested in until I was living alone in New York and thought, well, let's try. And I immediately was hooked. I started to feel stronger in my body for the first time. And that then that connected to the mental strength and confidence I was developing and also the spiritual aspect of martial arts where we meditate and do breathing exercises, et cetera. So it was really like this holistic program, if you will, that felt way more empowering than just going to the gym. So in that first year of training in a martial art called Hapkido, which I, like I said, immediately fell in love with, a couple of things happened that were pretty uh, life altering, not just for me, but for many, many people in the world, especially in New York at the time. So that first instance that really changed my life uh, was on September 11th, as I went to work that was, and my work at the time was three blocks south of the towers. Oh my God. Yeah, it was it was an awful day. And again, trigger warning for anyone out there listening that has yeah. uh, a similar experience or probably even worse. Right. And that's that's why I sidebar. I never really talked about this experience for many, many, many years. I kept it really buried and close to my heart because I always felt I had that survivor's guilt that, you know, so many other people out there had it so much worse. Anyway, I digress. I got over to the place that I worked at. The doorman wouldn't let me upstairs. So instead he said, I can use the phone in the lobby. I went to call my mom and she says I was like talking in a childlike voice to her. So I was obviously in a trauma response already. And the first tower fell. I got pushed into this utility closet with a bunch of strangers that came into the lobby looking for shelter. In that moment, I absolutely froze, completely shut down, you know, like fight, flight, freeze. And a woman came over to me and asked me my name. I think she put her hands on my shoulders. I said, Jennifer. And she said, Jennifer, I'm Nancy. And the two of us were going to get out of here today. I'm still looking for my Nancy. But anyway, we ran, we were evacuated from that building and ran for hours looking for a safe place until finally I had the idea to take Nancy to the dojo, the or dojong in Korean, the martial arts studio that I had been training at. And when Nancy and I arrived, we were covered in soot and ash and I'm sure traumatized. And But for the first time that day, I felt safer, drinking water, took a shower, watching the news to try to understand what was happening. Nancy took off and that started this this deep deepening of my martial arts practice afterwards. So in the weeks and months after, all I wanted to do was go there Mm -hmm. so I could feel stronger, safer and more powerful. And I'm pretty sure looking back now, it's what healed me from serious Mm. PTSD. Oh my God. I cannot believe you were there that day. That's insane. We're we're both East Coast girls, both from the East Coast, both transplants out here West. You're in LA. I'm an OC. And it's interesting being from that part of the the country. I I have so many stories that I've heard secondhand where I know a person. Right. But to have experienced it firsthand and had it impact the way that you've approached tackling life, tackling trauma, tackling grief. One of the things that that was interesting was when you started talking about how you felt hesitant to share your story because you had the survivor's guilt. I think if we could just talk about that a little bit, because I think as as women, and especially in today's culture and landscape with Instagram and everyone, you know, people get canceled and things are taken the wrong Mm. way and everything's so polarizing and fragmented and 
people are just so afraid of of being divisive and landing on the wrong side of that coin. You know, yes. the internet weighs in. Why do you think that as women, especially, we're so hesitant to share our stories for fear of that comparative trauma, that comparative mm-hmm. grief? Like, because our story is unique to us. It was the biggest moment that ever happened to you at that point, probably. Like, yes, comparatively, but there's always someone worse, right? Like there's the earthquakes in Turkey right now that you can go down the rabbit hole, either direction, people that have it better or worse. And so, so why do you think it is that we, that we have a hard time believing that our story is worthy of being shared and heard and seen? And how did you overcome that? Wow. What an amazing question. I think for all the reasons what you said, that we always think that someone else's story is more important or more impactful and our story just isn't that important. For me, again, back to the survive, it was really that survivor's guilt that I took on and didn't come out of it until I, I would say eight or nine years ago, I definitely decided I wanted to do keynote speaking. And it was a, it was a passion. It was like this seed hidden in me for so many years back in my early 20s. So after September 11th, I mean, the story goes that I became a personal trainer, a health coach, et cetera, et cetera. But all that time I was going to Tony Robbins events and doing all this self-development work and watching these people on stage, like have so much impact. I wanted to do the same. So I went to a Brendan Burchard event called World's Greatest Speaker, again, back eight, nine years ago when I decided I really wanted to do this. And he threw us into, you know, he told his origin story and then threw us into groups to share ours. And I just kept thinking, I don't have a story, right? Mm -hmm. I think a lot of us go through that. I don't have a story. Nothing really happened to me. And then you almost feel guilty that your childhood was semi-normal, right? Yeah. But then it all of a sudden dawned on me. And I said, hang on a second. I did have a really traumatic event. I just have been burying it all these years. Mm -hmm. I haven't been expressing it. I haven't been talking about it, dealing with it even. So I started to realize that on that day or that moment in time, my life completely shifted. I never was planning on becoming a personal trainer, a health coach, a speaker, an author. That was never, you know, in my life's plan. I don't even know what was. It was probably being an event planner in that world. I love events, which now I'm just on the stage and not planning them. So (laughs) it all works out. But anyway, I just realized that everyone has, has these things in their life, these times in their life that sucked, right. That were horrible, but have led them to where they are today. Mm -hmm. And it's, I started to connect the dots. Like that day led me to deepening my martial arts. Martial arts led me to deepening my, my desire to help women to feel safe. And all along here I am today. And it's, not because of the, that day, but it definitely is part of the origin story. Yeah. Oh, it's so good, Jen. And, you know, it's interesting. I wish women, particularly men and women, but I, I particularly mm-hmm. wish that women would realize that when they share a traumatic moment, when they share a grief experience, when they share those those specific details, like you did when you said, I called my mom and I had a childlike voice. The minute you said that, I immediately, your story became my story. And I immediately flipped back to a traumatic experience that I had three years ago where my someone said to me, 
I think it was my brother or my sister, they were like, you were talking like you were a little kid because it was so traumatic that you sounded like a child. Like it was bizarre. And as soon as you said that, I was back in my story Mm. and I thought to myself, gosh, I learned so much from that experience. I would not be who I am today. I would not be doing what I'm doing. And I really should share that story more and be brave enough to share that story once I'm fully healed from it completely so I can teach from you know a scar and not a wound. Right. And I thought to myself, gosh, every time we share that story, it reminds someone of theirs in a way that allows them to process. Mm-hmm. And it goes on and on. And so it's just, it's interesting. I wish we could keep that in mind that it's not that we are being, you know, you know, therapist, you know, catharsis, you know, bleeding out our feelings for us. But if you're doing it with the right intention mm-hmm. and you're sharing it in a moment when you have those learnings and those lessons, there's literally nothing more powerful on the face of the earth as a thought leader. Wow. Yes, absolutely. And again, just a reminder that everyone has the story, yes. their own story. In chapter one, and I know I'm jumping a bit, but- Yeah, let's, I was just going to say, let's go there. Yeah, tell us. There's, uh, the chapter is called Embrace the Suck and it's white belt level because it's all about you know, I use martial arts as a metaphor throughout the book. It's about getting on the mat in the dojo where we do the work, where we face our opponents, whatever those opponents are in life. Obviously, that can translate to people, but also to situations and, and worldly events even. And there's an exercise in there to really help you embrace the suck, which is called creating your greatest shits list. And on that shits list, you go through all those times <laughs> in your life that were that really sucked and were terrible and hard and there i feel like is where you'll find your origin story mm. or at least pieces of it and see how those things you know once you connect the dots how they've led you to become the person you are right now mm-hmm. it's so it's interesting because it sounds so not cliche but it is something that people say is like it doesn't happen to you, it happens for you. Mm. It's, you know, this will be a great, as keynote speakers, whatever something shitty happens, everyone, we all joke around, as you know, it's like, that's going to be a great story on stage someday, you know? <laughs> right. And and so, but it's interesting, whether you're a keynote speaker or just leading a small team or leading your family, or you have a, a position of influence in your friend circle, whatever your opportunity for impact looks like, mm. drawing upon those experiences using a framework like badassery is something it's work that we do for ourselves and it's work that we do for others and it's work that we do for the world. And so I love that you have this sort of seven step framework. Cause I think when you hear something like this is going to make you who you are and the tough times make you stronger and all that, it's like, okay, cool. But how do I get to the other side? Right. Because especially if you're hearing this and right now you're like, oh my gosh, good for both of you and your healed traumas. <laughs> I am in a dark season right now and I'm not okay. And I, I want her or him back. I want the her or him back from two years ago before we had a collective traumatic experience. You know, mm. I want the her or him back from that Facebook reminder where I look so happy before the thing happened. And so, and so when you talk about this framework, I mean, there are, it's a process and there are steps you can take. So I am so excited to walk through your seven belts of your dojo. Um, So the first is embrace the suck. So Mm -hmm. do you want to maybe give us sort of like a high level overview of the seven and then maybe I can be selfish and hone in on the one that I'm really curious about and ask you more questions? (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah, let's do it. Yeah. So we have white 
white belt, embrace the suck. Yellow belt is about bouncing back. So again, the, the metaphor is as a martial artist, before you learn to take anyone down, you learn what's called mat work, how to fall and get back up. Fall. We literally practice that over and over so you can get back up with more velocity and ease each time. Uh you know, and I outline a few different strategies on how to do that on the mat as well as life. Orange belt level, it was the third chapter and that's about blocking. So blocking the BS, blocking any negativity that's coming our way through people, places, and things that are trying to drag us down, take advantage of, of us encroaching on our boundaries. So this, this lesson is about you know, blocking those different punches and kicks and assaults coming at you, whether they be verbal, mental, emotional, or even physical, and how to deal with them. So again, on the mat, we learn hard styles, soft styles. And the reminder for life is you have options, many, many options on how you want to set your boundaries. But the more you set them and the more you practice, the easier it becomes. Green belt level, is about finding your roar, your powerful kiop, what it's called in the martial art I studied. A kiop translates to spirited yell. And we use those spirited yells, those kiops on every punch and kick to accentuate them, to possibly scare off your, you know, imp- opponent. And uh, in life. So like when you go like, hiya, ah, yes. yeah, like that kind of stuff. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Kiop, okay. hiya. Huh. Whatever it is, everyone, you okay. can choose your own style of key up. That's the cool. beauty. But really in life, that's about finding your powerful communication style, whether you need to set a boundary, give a client presentation, get up on stage, ask for the promotion or the equal pay that you deserve. So we do that, obviously, through body language, through tone, through vocabulary, our words matter. And I kind of close out the chapter with what I think is the most important, which is our inner dialogue the words we speak to ourselves. Blue belt level, at blue belt level as a martial artist, we start to uh, get familiar with our chi, the life force energy that runs through us. Uh, we start to realize when it's when our tank is running low. So this chapter is really all about self-care. And if we don't take care of ourselves, right, no one else is going to. And also we're going to be heading for burnout, which is the case for so many folks right now. Red belt level is about connecting with your warrior within. So this is about now slowing down to speed up, slowing down to become more productive, slowing down to hear and listen to your intuition. It's about mindfulness, essentially. And then black belt level, which is obviously my favorite. Black belt level as a martial artist, you start to realize that it's becoming a black belt is not about learning the coolest new sword form or how high you can jump on your flying sidekick, but it's truly about being a leader, a leader in the dojo. And then also that how these characteristics about taking a stand and practicing our stances for others, for people really help you elevate your influence and your, you know, you being a leader out in your community. And that's really what Black Belt is about, helping others rise through the ranks as well. This is fantastic. I love this framework so much. Thank you. I want us to do an episode in every single chapter, but I think, (laughs) you know, it's interesting. I love, I love this idea of progressing through all of this work to then end at this Black Belt level of leadership. Yeah. And it's interesting because when you think about leaders that you know, that are truly inspiring, that get everyone rowing in the same direction that actually make big, juicy moonshot initiatives happen. 
you can see a piece of them in each one of these blocks. They've they've done this work, right? right. Yeah. And it's interesting when we look at a leader of an organization, small, large, macro, micro, you know, political, religious, wherever you want to go with this, we can see the leaders that are maybe strong in, let's say, uh, the green belt, the roar, mm. right? Or <laughs> They're strong in, you know, the second level you mentioned, which is the mat work, the getting back up, the just mm-hmm. keep getting back up. Right. But it's interesting because when you look at, at you know, maybe the, the ones that are great at roaring, they don't have the red belt. They don't have that mindfulness. And so mm. it's this beautiful progression that to be a truly great leader, we must do this work at every single level. And there is no fast track and you can't skip steps. And when leaders do, it shows up in their results. And it shows up in their vibe. Big time. So I think this is really interesting. You know, one of the things that came to mind for me when you were talking about the orange one in particular, so so Mm. the blocking. That's a favorite. Yeah. (laughs) Tell me more. Why do you think that is? (laughs) Because we see it all the time uh, in groups of women and conversations with women, conversations with your girlfriends. It's like so many women have porous boundaries. Let's put it that way. So porous boundary would be the opposite of a strong boundary, right? And it's it's just how a lot of us, and not everyone anymore especially, but if we go back a few generations, we were really raised that way to speak when spoken to, to be quiet. We were told we were too much, too, too loud, too aggressive if we were setting boundaries or using our voice in a powerful way. Yep. So there's just this collective backdrop of what it feels like or what it means to be a woman in this day and age. And like I said, times are changing and I understand that, but it's still there. And Absolutely. I, yeah, and I'll go even a step deeper and say, when you look at the statistics of women that have been physically abused, killed in domestic violence, sexual assault statistics, which are one in four college-age women or woman, one in five women in the U.S., or one in three women globally mm. that are victims of sexual violence, right? Mm. That is collective because it means that even if it didn't happen to you, it happened to somebody you know, mm. for sure. And Mm -hmm. we all carry that burden together. Mm -hmm. And I feel like we all need to take a stand for our safety and equality together as well. Sorry, I get really riled up right now. (laughs) Why are you you apologizing? Why are you apologizing for that? (laughs) I shouldn't have. Take it back. I take it back. (laughs) There it is. It is. So you wrote a book on being a badass. You know, I've I've written a book on your big deal energy. I mean, we are preaching to ourselves as much as our people in our networks and our communities. One of the most badass 100%. women. Yes. And I mean, I know some of the most badass women on earth that I'm blessed enough to have in my circle. And even they will have these moments. And so if you think about the female leaders of this movement, of this redefinition of what it looks like for us to exist and take up space and mm-hmm. and be able to live life fearlessly and free the mm-hmm. way your average fellow, for the most part, does without even thinking about it. Mm-hmm. Just imagine anyone that has lighter, more fragmented programming, just how much more they need to hear this message. And so what is what do you teach when you 
for the women that there tends to be this thread of, I had this feeling mm. or I had this gut feeling. Like, how do we begin to honor that and pay attention to that? Like, what does the dojo say about honoring that piece where yeah. we do know? It's all about intuition. There's a uh, one, of, I would say the best-selling book in, in the safety world is by a author named Gavin DeBecker and it's called The Gift of Fear. And essentially the whole book is about how we need to listen to our intuition because it's there for us. He says in two ways, or the first thing is it always has our backs. Essentially, it's always mm. has a purpose, that that gut feeling, and it always has our best interest at heart. Can it be wrong and off? Sure. That man maybe you know, in another universe didn't attack her, but she still had that gut feeling, right? Which could have mm -hmm. been a bias or something like that. So that does happen. Yet we can listen to our intuition whenever it occurs and just remove ourselves from the situation if possible. So that is one of the first things that I do teach is to be able to take in as much information as we can. So being alert and aware, practicing situational aware awareness everywhere, right? When you walk out your out of your door at home, when you get out of your car, when you pull into a parking garage, when you walk into a board meeting, okay? So taking in eyes, ears, but most importantly, opening up that connection between our brain and our gut, right? To, to hear the messages that our intuition is giving us. Mm -hmm. And everyone hears it in different ways, right? It could be that gut feeling, words that you may hear, a message kind of in a video that comes across your mental screen. There's so many ways that our intuition talks to us. So I don't know. I just, I just keep having to remind myself as well and women that that voice, that message is, is there for us. Mm -hmm. And that's really about red belt level, right? Is about quieting down and having a mindfulness practice so you can hear the voice. So whether it be journaling in the morning, whether it be meditation, whether it be yoga, what whatever your mindfulness practice is, I truly believe everyone should have one, mm -hmm. <laughs> or at least one. A hundred percent. And it's so interesting because when you do practice mindfulness and you see the benefits showing up in every aspect of your life, mm -hmm. I get a little bit like when I start to see it all show up, I'm so grateful. I'm in flow. I am one with mm -hmm. the universe. Everything's yeah. happening in alignment. <laughs> and then I get lazy because everything's going so great. So then I neglect the meditation or I skip the walk or I don't do the prayer in the shower or I start to skip my little habits. And it's incredible. It's almost like working out where, you know, it takes three weeks to get in shape and three days to get out of it. It's the same exact thing where all of a sudden, you know, things aren't working. Everyone's bugging me. I'm shorter. <laughs> I'm negative. And it just floods in and you're like, oh, wow, this truly is the word practice. This is truly an everyday micro moment devotion to that warrior within, to use your, your phrase, which I love that. So was there a moment for you in this journey of, of healing from what you went through where one of these belts really showed up to serve you in a way where either it helped you to kind of cross over to the other side of that dark season, or was there one of the belts? Was there a, a time where you never really had thought about putting that on in that situation? But then when you did, you realized, oh, wow, that was a missing piece for me. Like, what was one of the moments in, in writing this book where you revisited like, gosh, that was a really big point of crossover or a point of activation for me or healing? Right, right. I would say 
what is coming up for me, so I'm just going to say that that's the right answer, is Greenbelt, which is about really... I even hate using the word find your voice, right? It's not lost. It's there. I have it. But tapping into that inner key up, that spirited yell, and really owning my communication style and being more intentional about it. And I think that's the key. That is the thing where I see folks making the most mistakes, right? Is like not being intentional with their dialogue outwardly and definitely not being intentional with their inner dialogue. So without saying it in a negative way where people have make the most mistakes, I'll say it in this way. I feel like you can make the most difference in your well-being, in your empowerment, in your success, in your achievements by mastering that inner voice. So for me, it started outwardly. It started by, I remember at the time, I I love and I still love hip hop music. Like I love it so much. And then there was, and it was like fun and, a, you know, easygoing. But all of a sudden... It, I can't remember what year or around what time, but it just started to get a little dark. Like the messaging was really misogynistic and just speaking about women in such an awful way that I made a conscious choice that said, I don't want to listen to not just this type of music, but any type of music or media, right? That puts down women, that is misogynistic, that, right? I just don't want that in my space. So I started to become aware of all the messaging that we consume on a daily basis, not even consciously, right? It's on our social media feed. It's on the billboards that we're looking at up on the street. It's coming in through the news. It's coming in through people's words, thoughts, and energy. So if we can start to really use discernment for what we let in, that's a really great first step. And then I started to be more careful and kind of take an audit of the words I was using outwardly. How much self-deprecation was I using? I'm really careful about that now. And was just with a group of two of my oldest girlfriends who I love dearly. Just the other day, we did a whole like girls day out. And sure enough, that whole self-deprecation starts. I'm getting so this, I gained weight and the blah, 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 blah. And I look horrible and look at my face and the chin and the talking about plastic surgery. I was like, enough. Okay. Like, I'm not going there. I'm not going there anymore. Do you ever feel that way? All the time. And I think what's interesting is there's a wonderful skit that you may have seen. I I don't know if it was Saturday Night Live. It's Amy Schumer, uh, Nikki Glazer, a bunch of these really very, very funny women. Mm-hmm. And, and the skit starts out and they're all walking in the streets of New York and it's like five girlfriends and they're all meeting up in Central Park. And the one girl is like, oh my God, I hate my legs. And the other girl's like, I hate my hair. And the other girl's like, I'm so fat. And the other girl goes, I like your bag. She goes, oh my God, it's so ugly. So they're giving compliments. Like, oh, you look so good. No, I look like crap. And no one's taking the compliments and everyone's like, oh. So then Amy Schumer walks up and they're like, they're like, Amy, your hair looks so good. And she just goes, thank you. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. And it's silent and all of them just start going crazy. One girl's head explodes. One girl starts like, <laughs> yeah. like, like, like throwing the things. She like chops down a tree. They all just like lose their shit because yeah. <laughs> someone actually accepted a compliment, you know? So in this moment of, of women accepting compliments, we've all had this situation where Yes, own your strength, own your beauty, own your intelligence, own own these these components of you that you love. Mm. And there is this this very complicated social construct of of respected but not liked, mm-hmm. liked but not respected. 
every time that we show up, oftentimes big and bold and unapologetic, there is an element sometimes where people are like, ooh, she's a lot, like, ooh. And so we get a little bit smaller, softer than everyone's in like loving us, but we're not being our true selves. I personally have not figured out the answer of how to balance this, particularly with my heavy, like a lot of our keynote speak conference, a lot of male speakers, a lot of male decision makers. And I noticed that when I, when I come in just as myself, it's they either love, I'm very polarizing. They either love me and they're like, go girl. Or they're like, whoa, coming in hot. And then, so because we are, we are communicators and it's about knowing your audience and modifying your approach to get the head nod, to close the deal. I mean, I teach persuasion and influence. And so mm. everything is about reading your audience, adjusting accordingly, a little bit of a chameleon nature. Mm. And so I always question myself when I do change my approach to be softer or less or more conciliatory. I do notice a better response from certain individuals, oftentimes men. And then I ask myself, but are those the right men? Are those the men that I want to be working with anyway? And so it's very complicated. So anything you have discovered on this topic that has helped you to navigate that space of being a badass, no matter what belt you're using, I just, I would love to hear kind of your take on it. Yeah. Well, again, back to that level, what made a difference for me was, was owning my powerful voice. So I started to, you know, again, back to the metaphor of using this key op, it feels very uncomfortable at first because you're just shouting this weird word over and over and over again. But the more you do it, right, it just feels so good, like in my (laughs) body and everything. So So I feel like that started to take place in other areas of my life. So I used this powerful voice when I had to set my rights in my business or negotiate or combat the everyday street harassment that women face, especially in New York City, all these different things. And even to communicate in relationships of my wants and my desires and my needs and to leave relationships that were no longer serving me. So our voice is so important And I just want all the women listening and everyone really to remember that, right? Just to remember that when you're intentional with your words and your tone and all the ways you communicate, there's, there's going to be people that won't like you or won't like what you have to say, but who cares? (laughs) I don't know how else to say it. Like, who cares? Really? Well, I think what's interesting is that I think that is so much easier said than done because I agree a hundred percent. And There is this element of we want the people that we love Mm. to love our thing. Yeah. It's this intrinsic baked in sense of belonging Mm. that is so challenging to shake from tribal times, from survival times of of going your own way was death, (laughs) you Mm. know, Mm. and so. And so whether you're the black sheep in your family, whether you find yourself going left when everyone goes right, it's so challenging, I think for women in particular, but for everybody, because when you do say, okay, like my grandmother would always tell me, love, it is better to be someone's shot of whiskey than everyone's cup of tea. I love it. <laughs> and it's like, yes, right? So, so that has been how I've run my life. And I think what holds us back from being able to step into that space earlier and more often is quite simply the loneliness because yeah. it can be lonely. It can be really lonely to go your own way, to mm-hmm. 
to not be on the team, to not go with the crowd, yeah. to to challenge what everyone is doing. It's lonely. I mean, that's I think that's at the core of it is this this fear around like when you draw a boundary, for example, I mean, I don't know. I want to hear your boundary story mm-hmm. as well. I mean, I drew a recent boundary around a very toxic friendship mm-hmm. that I've had for 30 years. I've known oh. this girl forever. And I kept making excuses. And the problem is the more you do this work, the more you do this personal development work and you read about these beautiful like seven belts of badassery and you listen to the Brendan Burchards we were talking about earlier and hopefully a podcast like this one, the more you do the work, it just becomes almost impossible to ignore the toxicity. Right. Yeah. You know? And one of my girlfriends, Tamsin Webster, who you would love, wrote a great book called The Red Thread Method. And mm-hmm. she had someone either on her podcast or doesn't matter, but the what the gal said, and I hate to not give attribution, I forget who it was. She said, oftentimes at the holidays was the conversation, the individual that is causing the most drama or the most friction is typically the individual who is the most emotionally mature. Mm. So it's like, you know, you've done all this work. And so your bandwidth for bullshit is just so minute that you can't help but speak up. You can't help but walk away. And so I recently walked away from this long friendship and, and mm-hmm. it's I, now I'm mourning it. I'm, I'm, I'm mourning it. I, I don't regret my decision because I really thought it through and I gave her like 8,000 chances and expressed my thing. I did all the work. And yeah. ultimately it was just one of those, like, I have a boundary. This is a non-negotiable for me. Mm-hmm. And I think the reason we don't draw those boundaries is because it's just sad. You get sad. Mm-hmm. It's a loss. It's it's a form of grieving, you know? Yeah. Wow. Yes. You went deep on that. And that goes right into orange belt level, which is about drawing those boundaries. And I give lots of different examples of really verbal boundaries, not the physical stuff, but really verbal boundaries that we can use. And I think, well, yours is a great example of when women usually we don't like to say goodbye to folks. And I understand that, but sometimes it's really necessary. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So there's hard blocks, there's soft blocks, there's everything in between. And, and what you said about having that, that tolerance, I call it a bullshit tolerance, right? It's like, depends also what else is going on in your life. Sometimes if you're like dealing with a sick child at home or taking care of an elderly parent and your boss is you know, being an ass to you, like your bullshit tolerance is going to be pretty low. And that's where, you know, again, you want to strengthen up those porous boundaries. Mm -hmm. So tell us about the chi, the life force. So how do you protect and enhance your chi? And what what do you share with your clients who Mm -hmm. struggle with that exact situation that you just painted? Sandwich Mm -hmm. generation, taking care of kids, taking care of parents. They're just, you know, oftentimes I feel a need to to sometimes I'm I'm child free and and I have more time than my gal pals who have uh, families, and oftentimes I feel that when I do talk about meditation and walks and green juice, I've had it happen on a podcast where they just like laugh at me. They're like, "What are you talking about?" <laughs> like I don't even I am lucky I brushed my teeth, let alone <laughs> had a green juice and wrote down what I was grateful for. And so there, but again, everyone's journey is different. So. What do you tell to your clients that are saying, look, chi sounds great. It's also a hair straightener that I don't have time to use. You know what I mean? I'm laughing because I relate to you. I'm also child-free. So I 
I almost feel, you know, guilty sometimes coaching my clients or saying this in a keynote where you need to put, you know, you need to have your self-care first, but it, I, I can't imagine it being any other way. Like you do need to take care of yourself first. And when we're most stressed is usually when the self-care is like completely put to the side. And so in that chapter, it's really simple things. It's simple, simple things that I feel like no matter what's going on in your life, you can do like drink enough water. Like literally, can you drink enough water throughout the day? Kids or not, you should be able to do that. Get some movement into your life, some. And again, that could be going outside for a walk around the block quickly. 10 minutes here, 10 minutes there. It's how, you know, as I've gotten busier over the last three years, writing the book and the book launch and all of that, my workouts have shortened but I still commit to them. So it's really more about the consistency of what you can commit to rather than the length of, you know, the the workout per se. Eating real foods, everyone can do that. And really watching those, what I call energy zapping substances. So a lot of us rely on different substances to get us through the day. So mostly I'm just going to say caffeine, coffee, et cetera, which is great in small amounts and can be definitely part of someone's healthy well-being plan but when we're relying on it i mean i see people chugging their their 20 ounce you know cold brews all day long and i'm like you realize that it's giving you a false sense of energy that over time is going to wear out your adrenals and you're going to be even in worse shape and more tired and exhausted and not understand why so they're just like i said simple things getting outside grounding in nature getting some sunshine you don't have to have this you know, three hour long morning routine or nighttime routine to get it all done. It's little bit of habits that can be tied into your daily, daily routine. It's, it's honestly, just because it's common sense doesn't mean it's common mm-hmm. practice. Right. And, and it's interesting how much diet and exercise, I mean, we hear this morning, noon, and night, drink right. water, sleep, workout, eat clean. Easy. But we have to keep talking about it because it's the foundation for everything. You can't be, you can't get back up, block BS, roar, have good chi, be a warrior, be a leader. You can't do all these things if you are exhausted, if you are just, your cup is empty. You can't pour from an empty cup. And so even though they are basic, I think what I like is this idea of consistency Mm -hmm. over perfection, like progress over perfection. I mean, one of my girlfriends has five kids and she talks all the time about the fact that she literally does yoga for 15 minutes in her kitchen (laughs) when her kids are having breakfast. She puts the breakfast, they do their thing, and she is literally doing poses in the kitchen. She does it every single morning. Is it zen? Does it smell like lavender? Are there birds chirping? No. It is chaos. However, it's that consistency. And what she said to me is she said, you know, yes, it's stretching and it's moving before I'm in the car, driving all over the world for the next six hours. Mm -hmm. She said, but also for me, what it it does for me is the consistency of it. Mm -hmm. Every single time that I honor something to myself, that I promised Mm -hmm. myself I would do, it gives me a boost of this illusion of contentment, like an illusion of control that doesn't exist. But like, I just feel like it starts off on the right foot. I did something I told myself I would do no matter what. And that feels empowering. That feels badass, right? And right. Your children are watching you. 
And I think it's really important to see mom and dad making time for themselves and valuing their health and their well-being. I mean, I was raised like that. So I'm not a mom, but I was a child. And I saw my dad committed to his health and well-being. I saw my mother have thing do things for herself all the time that were important to her, like having a social life, going out, doing this, her work. And I I just think that made for a more well-adjusted child. So these days it feels like there's a lot of parents that put their children's needs way ahead of their own so often that I can't imagine that that's good in the long run for the kids. Yep. Yep. Well said. I agree. So, so tell us before we wrap up, Mm. if there's someone listening that is thinking to themselves, okay, I don't know if I could do martial arts. I don't know if I have a roar or a that sort of warrior vibe in me. Yeah. Where's the first place for them to get started in your book? Like what's the first sort of small baby action step they can take when they finish listening to this podcast? Oh my gosh. This I mean, all of it. <laughs> The book really, but it's really bite-sized little exercises. You don't have to like come out as a warrior in any way, you know, and knock people down. It's not about that. It's really about going within and taking care of yourself so you can be a better person in the world and really be a better human. So starting out is really just embracing the suck and saying like, hey, challenges are going to keep happening in my life. And the more I can just accept that as fact, the sooner I can move on to all the other things in the book that I can work on. But really, I think too many of us get stopped at challenges and Mm. failures, perceived failures, stories that we've made about our past. And I mean, even the pandemic over the last few years was really challenging for folks understood, right? So so reading that chapter, and it's there first for a reason, I think will help everyone just build their resilience a little bit more to get through the next few challenges that may come our way. Yeah. I, and I love how you titled it, like embrace the suck. It's not like suffer through the suck. Mm-hmm. It's not fast forward through the suck. It's not ignore the suck. Embrace, like hug the shit basically, which is <laughs> yeah. a really tall order. Yeah. And what I think it also does, I, I like the, the language you use there because what I think it really does is it, it makes the suck feel like something that is going to be with us physically in some level or another. Like maybe it's like a little less sucky, a little more sucky, but it's, it's, it is a spectrum of suck, right? (laughs) Like it's a spectrum of suck. And, and so just realizing, I think one of the most dangerous mindsets around like the embrace the suck that people don't think about is that, you know, well, once this is over or once it gets back to normal or once I finish this one thing or get through this one thing, it's like your challenge is saying, but it'll be something else. It will be another round on the mat. Mm -hmm. So, you know, by learning to friend it in a way versus fearing it or give it the middle finger, Mm -hmm. you are sort of... Or bury it or numb while you're going through it. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. Numbing, burying. Exactly. And so, yeah, I just, I think that this book is going to help so many people who, who have just lost that inner warrior that we all started out having as kids and, and help them to have a process step-by-step to unlock it. And I like to get to graduate belt by belt. So you feel by the end of the book that you are ready to be this incredible leader. So 
I think the book is fantastic. I can't wait for everyone to read it. We'll link to everything in the show notes, your website, your book, The Art of Badassery, which uh, came out a couple of months ago and is crushing it at bookstores all over. So pick it up there, uh, Barnes & Noble, Amazon, ever books are sold. And then where do you like to play online? Should we go to your Instagram or where's the best place for us to get more Jen? Yeah, Instagram, I like the best probably at Jen Cassetta, two N's, two S's, two T's. And I'm also a big fan of LinkedIn these days, if that's your speed. Cool. We'll see you mm-hmm. there, Jen. Thank you so thank much you. for everything you've shared with us today, your story. And I just think this concept is really powerful and I'm really excited we got to dive in. I want to do another episode with you as well in the future, talking about book publishing for our aspiring authors and sharing some of those experiences too. So maybe we can get you to come back on the show. Yeah, the good, the bad, and the ugly. <laughs> That's right. Particularly the last two. All right. Well, it was great to see you, Jen. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you, Erin. Thanks, everyone, for listening. I hope you'll check out more from Jennifer, her courses, her book, and most importantly, her content. So the next time you find yourself in a situation where you need to be a total badass, you'll be more than prepared. Well, friends, I hope this episode has helped you to live life a little more confidently on your terms, and I will see you for next time's episode.